Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Atlantis Found. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off most recently with some amazing finds. And we're going to tie it all together. So I've read to you from Mercator's work and Mercator's letter to John D in which he talks about the peoples at the septentrional North Pole also I've and others have pointed out the biblical references to the peoples at the pole and Eden Meru Shambhala Asgard Atlantis, and many of the other names that refer to the same place, our North Pole. So in this work, I'm going to combine quite a few of the main stories that talk about what it's like there and how to get there and what is found once you're there so we're gonna begin the earliest possible reference is either the Bible Plato and or the references that Zen brought up regarding the Thracian chronicles and Thracian lore and that the Thracians did come, indeed come from the north. So this is also where our two works line up, is that I've been looking at other cultures that claim to come from Hyperborea and claim to come from the north. So a lot of the Scandinavian Gothic peoples, the Tartars, the Russians, the Egyptians who originally came from or turned back to the Coptics and you can see how those cultures are all interrelated moving south from north and then on the other side we see China and Nepal and Shambhala uh, the Chinese versions of of Eden of Meru and we'll get into some more of those later as well. But we see that on the eastern side, through Marco Polo, 
and through his recollections to the courts of Europe that the ancient Chinese had influenced the Aztecs and the Mexicans to have the same beliefs. And we can see that, in fact, early Aztec is actually mid to late Chinese and was influenced heavily by them on that side of the Americas, on the western side of the Americas. And we see that in their culture that they reference the same things about a place like Eden in the north where all peoples originated from, where they have magic and powers and greatness and great abundance and wonderful weather and beautiful good people and also that all humans came from that place and that it is still there and that mere mortals will are lucky to get there if they can get there at all so we're going to trace back through and I'm going to read to you from runic inscriptions and ancient Scandinavian wood carvings of their ancient lore also ancient Latin and Plato and Pliny and Plato's natural history and also we'll be reading from or Olaf Jensen will be reading from his tale of his journey to the north and what he discovered there and we're also going to read from letters written from an English sailor to his brother in the early 1800s and his descriptions of what it was like there and what he saw there. Hyperborea. We're going to start with Olaf Janssen's story and interject the important information and later we'll backtrack and tie together the whole story. Now this material is commonly found in hollow earth material. We will see that this information may pertain, there may be a place and places inside the earth that we can reach at the North Pole. It could be any number of things. There could be that there is atop Mount Meru, a godly place, there could be that inside of the earth there is a place with a tower still sticking straight out the top of it which would be Mount Meru and it doesn't I don't prescribe to the hollow earth in the standard hollow earth model what I'm proposing here is that we are living on the flat earth and that the vortex at the pole the uh, foaming whirlpool that goes there and that the insucking rivers and seas go down to there that it might be possible to somehow get inside the earth there safely and that inside of that area there may be a secondary living area that other cultures 
and ancient cultures have been living in since the beginning of time, as is stated in all these readings that we're doing. So, <clears throat> just so you understand the premise of what it's like in that area. My name is Olaf Jansen. I am a Norwegian, although I was born in the little seafaring Russian town of Yuliaburg, on the eastern coast of the Gulf of Bothnia, the northern arm of the Baltic Sea. My parents were on a fishing cruise in the Gulf of Bothnia and, it, and put into this Russian town of Yuleborg at the time of my birth, being the 27th day of October, 1811. My father, Jens Jansen, was born at Rodwig on the Scandinavian coast near the Lofoten Islands, but after marrying made his home at Stockholm because my mother's people resided in that city. When seven years old, I began going with my father on his fishing trips along the Scandinavian coast. Early in life, I displayed an aptitude for books, and at the age of nine years was placed in a private school in Stockholm, remaining there till I was fourteen. After this, I made regular trips with my father on all his fishing voyages. My father was a man fully six, three, six feet three in height and weighed over fifteen stone, a typical Norseman of the most rugged sort and capable of more endurance than any other man I have ever known. He possessed the gentleness of a woman in tender little ways, yet his determination and willpower were beyond description. His will admitted of no defeat. I was in my nineteenth year when we started on what proved to be our last trip as fishermen, and which resulted in a strange story that shall be given to the world, but not until I have finished my earthly pilgrimage. I dare not allow the facts as I know them to be published while I am alive, for fear of further humiliation, confinement, and suffering. First of all, I was put in irons by the captain of the whaling vessel that rescued me for no other reason than that I told the truth about the marvelous discoveries made by my father and myself. But this was far from being the end of my tortures. After four years and eight months' absence, I reached Stockholm, only to find my mother had died the previous year, and the property left by my parents in the possession of my mother's people but it was at once made over to me. All might have been well had I erased from my memory the story of our adventure and of my father's terrible death. Finally, one day, I told the story in detail to my uncle, Gustav Osterland, a man of considerable property, and urged him to fit out an expedition for me to make another voyage to the strange land. At first I thought he favored my project. He seemed interested and invited me to go before certain officials and explain to them, as I had to him, the story of our travels and discoveries. Imagine my disappointment and horror when, upon the conclusion of my narrative, certain papers were signed by my uncle, and without warning, I found myself arrested and hurried away to dismal and fearful confinement in a madhouse, where I remained for twenty-eight years, long, tedious, frightful years of suffering. I never ceased to assert my sanity, and to protest against the injustice of my confinement. Finally, on the 17th of October, 1862, I was released. My uncle was dead and the friends of my youth were now strangers. Indeed, a man over fifty years old, whose only known record is that of a madman, has no friends. I was at a loss to know what to do for a living, but instinctively turned toward the harbor where fishing boats in great numbers were anchored, and within a week I had shipped with a fisherman by the name of Jan Hansen, who was starting on a long fishing cruise to the Lofoten Islands. Here my earlier years of training proved of the very greatest advantage, especially in enabling me to make myself useful. 
This was but the beginning of other trips, and by frugal economy I was, in a few years, able to own a fishing brig of my own. For twenty-seven years thereafter I followed the sea as a fisherman, five years working for others, and the last twenty-two for myself. During all these years I was a most diligent student of books, as well as a hard worker at my business. But I took great care not to mention to anyone the story concerning the discoveries made by my father and myself. Even at this late day I would be fearful of having anyone see or know the things I am writing, and the records and maps I have in my keeping. When my days on earth are finished, I shall leave maps and records that will enlighten, and I hope, benefit mankind. The memory of my long confinement with maniacs, and all the horrible anguish and sufferings are too vivid to warrant my taking further chances. In 1889 I sold out my fishing boats, and found I had accumulated a fortune quite sufficient to keep me the remainder of my life. I then came to America. For a dozen years my home was in Illinois, near Batavia, where I gathered most of the books in my present library, though I bought many choice volumes from Stockholm. Later I came to Los Angeles, arriving here March 4, 1901, the date I well remember, as it was President McKinley's second inauguration that day. I bought this humble home and determined here in the privacy of my own abode, sheltered by my own vine and fig tree, and with my books about me to make maps and drawings of the new lands we had discovered, and also to write the story in detail from the time my father and I left Stockholm until the tragic event that parted us in the Antarctic Ocean, or in the Arctic Ocean. I well remember that we left Stockholm in our fishing sloop on the third day of April, 1829, and sailed to the southward, leaving Gotland Island to the left and Oland Island to the right. A few days later we succeeded in doubling Sandhomar Point, and made our way through the Sound, which separates Denmark from the Scandinavian coast. In due time we put in at a town of Christiansand, where we rested two days, and then started round the Scandinavian coast to the westward bound for the Lofoten Islands. My father was in high spirit because of the excellent and gratifying returns he had received from our last catch by marketing at Stockholm, instead of selling at one of the seafaring towns along the Scandinavian coast. He was especially pleased with the sale of some ivory tusks that he had found on the west coast of Franz Joseph Land during one of his northern cruises the previous year, and he expressed the hope that this time we might again be fortunate enough to load our little fishing sloop with ivory instead of cod, herring, mackerel, and salmon. We put in at Hammerfest, latitude 71 degrees and 40 minutes, for a few days' rest. Here we remained one week, laying in an extra supply of provisions and several casks of drinking water, and then sailed towards Spitsbergen. For the first few days we had an open sea and favoring wind, and then we encountered much ice and many icebergs. A vessel larger than our little fishing sloop could not possibly have threaded its way among the labyrinth of icebergs or squeezed through the barely open channels. These monster bergs presented an endless succession of crystal palaces, massive cathedrals, and fantastic mountain ranges, grim and sentinel-like, immovable as some towering cliff of solid rock, standing silently as sphinx, resisting the restless waves of a fretful sea. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.